Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it flamed, flames, flames on the side of my face. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. So what's your name, Icy? Stuntman Mike. Stuntman Mike's your name. You ask anybody. Hey, Warren, who is this guy? Stuntman Mike. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? We are the knights who say... Nee. No, nee. not the knights nee. who say me. Nee. The same. Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. But I know you don't want to be here forever. You know, I got things I want to do in my life. Wayne. You got red on you. Statistical fact. Cops will never pull over a man with a huge bomb in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they, and he will bind them with ancient logics. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and they talk about the movies you will never discuss in the course of a film studies course. This week's film is Hook, the sad story of an amputee who finds love and happiness at the end of the story. He gets magic legs. But I think that's, that's pretty close. Yeah. But before we get into all of that, dear listener, uh, and all that spoilerific spoilerage, we have to give introductions to the disembodied voices speaking to you through your generic MP3 playing device. Across the table, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I am a nearsighted gynecologist. That's accurate That's statement. A classic one. Uh, to my left, ma'am, if you would. He says that to a table full of children. <laughs> Sorry. My name is Alexander Bohannon. Everyone looks bigger when you're ten. I don't like that. <laughs> He's huge to a 10-year-old. <laughs> I, I, he says. I'm huge. To a 10-year-old, I'm huge. Yes, that is bizarre. Um, my name is Desmond Sells, and I'm a rude, rude, crude, bag of pre-chewed food dude. And I'm so glad to be here with you all talking hook. You say that all the time, and I'd forgotten that it came from this movie. Me too. Yeah. It's from and this. as soon as we got to, they got to that scene, I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I do. Uh, and we are so glad. We're going to avoid spoilers. We're going to begin with a quick synopsis, and then we're going to give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews to this film. It bears mentioning that this is a part of a continuation of our month of sequels, our sequel palooza, if you will. Uh, typically, we're doing sequels to actual actual film sequels to movies that existed. This is more of a just a sequel to the idea of Peter Pan, I guess, yes. than a, a proper film sequel itself. But uh, it seemed like a fun pick. We also need to make mention that Arthur Gordon, our typical voice of the cinema, is not with us this week. Um, there were actual pirates in the streets of Norman, Oklahoma, due to flooding. Um, but if you need to build an ark, I know a guy. And uh, we will uh, help you out with that. But let's begin with a synopsis from the voice of the cinema, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, if you would, ma'am. When Captain Hook kidnaps his children, an adult Peter Pan must return to Neverland and reclaim his youthful spirit in order to challenge his old enemy. 
That was pretty spot on. That was a good Arthur. <laughs> not not bad at all, <laughs> Mr. Gordon. You better make your way back. You've got to run for your money. So let's begin with our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Just what we think of this film. I ask you first, Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you? Dustin Hoffman's Captain Hook? Yeah. yeah. How did top, I not realize this? He's got top billing. I, yes, I see that he's now. Got, he has billing over Robin Williams, in fact. He totally does. Okay, well, fun fact. This movie uh, is is Spielbergian. It is... I think this movie is just Appropriate that. as it's a Spielberg movie. No, I'm just saying, though, that whenever considering this film and how I feel about it is... You can basically know how you feel about it if you understand what it is to have a kind of a Spielbergian theme. Like whenever you have these um, fun, lavish, but obviously set sets and John Williams score and kind of lots of schmaltz and feels and families and reconciliation and magical mystery wonder. Typically that'll give you a Steven Spielberg movie. And if you like those things, then you will at least have a fun time in this movie. I know this movie isn't good. At least it's not It's not great. Um, but I did have fun watching this movie. So um, it was very long considering the subject matter. I, I didn't realize how long of a wind-up it was for him to actually get to Neverland. Sorry if that totally spoils the movie. Steven Spielberg's favorite part of the movie. I mean, it's a Peter Pan movie. He's going to get to Neverland. I don't think I, that's a spoiler at no, all. No. It's called right. It's his favorite part of the movie. No kidding. Is the, that wind-up. Just just don't talk about the scene with the uh, shrimp boat, and I think we'll be okay. Do you want to... Um, I love that great uh, 80s cell phone uh, duel part. That's very... funny. You know I owned that phone. Go where you want to go. Call when you want to call. Get the lowest price ever at Radio Shack on the most powerful transportable cellular phone system. Just $7.99 when you sign up with Radio Shack's authorized cellular phone carrier. There's nothing else to buy, and it's ready to go wherever you go. Call when you want to call. Use in your car, or go portable and take it along. Radio Shack's complete transportable cellular phone system. Just $7.99, only at Radio Shack, the technology store. I'm sure you did, Gramps. I played with a version of that phone that no longer worked because I was five when those were still, you know, not in trash heaps. You're all dead to me. I don't want to grow up. Anyway, um, this was a, it was a good enough movie. It was a nice piece of escapism, but it's definitely not the best thing I've ever seen. So I will give it, I will give it five plates of Invisi food out of a possible nine. No. Yeah. Nine. Excellent. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. And Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Well, I want to start off by saying that I am not immune to nostalgia. Um, this movie was in heavy, heavy cable rotation when I was growing up. Yes, it was. I think it still is. I'm pretty sure we owned this film on VHS when I was growing up. It's a great Christmas movie. I I've seen this movie probably... I'm going to guess that if you add together all of the times that I've seen just like a chunk or two of this movie, if you add all those up, I've probably seen this movie 27 times just as a guess. Um, and I always found it very heartwarming. When I sat down to watch this movie, I still remembered every plot beat, every moment, everything that was going to be on screen. I remembered it. Uh, I didn't remember it sucking so bad. Uh, and I don't, I'm not being glib. I know 
this is not a beloved film unless you were a child when it came out. Uh, I mean, this film was pretty critically panned <laughs> when it came out. So I, I'm not just trying to pile on this movie for because it's it's the cool like hip thing to do. I there were parts when I was watching this that I, I definitely my heartstrings got tugged at when. When Pete finds his happy thought, yeah, dude, you better believe I cried. Mm-hmm. The whole sequence, every time, the whole sequence with him and, and Tink in, in the little cave, like, is a real tearjerker. Um, the the final showdown with the Pirates and the Lost Boys is exhilarating. Um, Robin Williams is funny. Dustin Hoffman is fucking cash in this movie. I mean, he is great. He he's totally chewing the scenery in, in the most delightful way you possibly can, not in the obnoxious. Um, trying to take over the movie kind of way, so I, I don't I don't want you to think that I, I'm I'm immune to this film's charms because I'm not. But objectively, it's just not good. It's way too long. It, it just I don't know who this movie's for. It's full of mixed messages. Are we supposed to stay young forever? Are we supposed to grow up? Who knows? I checked out about forty five minutes in and checked back in uh, about an hour later and saw that it was still going. Yeah, it's just guys, this movie's not good. If you remember it as being good, you're wrong. I, I still appreciate it. There, there's a lot of good things here. Again, the acting is, is a lot of fun. The production design is phenomenal. I really like the look of Neverland. I, I like the costuming for the Lost Boys, all the, the props. All that stuff is great. It's just, it's, there's a lot of weird jokes made at the expense of that chubby kid. I don't really know what that's about. Um, I think it's cool that the Lost Boys are su- super multi-ethnic in 1991. That's kind of cool that they're not all, you know, they're not all white. I, I don't know, Rufio's the shit? I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's it's a slog to get through. It's an hour, two hours and 25 minutes long. That is too long for this movie to be. Uh, I haven't seen 1942, so barring that, this has got to be Spielberg's worst movie. I mean, maybe Crystal Skull might be a little worse, but even that is really entertaining, other than, you know, despite its flaws. This has got a lot of down spots where you're just like, oh. God, get through it. And Robin Williams is so restrained through. I like not, and I don't even mean, you know, he's not getting to be wacky Robin Williams. I mean, he's restrained even for his like more dramatic roles. Yeah, I mean, yeah, once once I he once he gets into the cave, I feel like we get the real the pathos that Williams can bring to any performance. Uh, we get the fun that he can bring to any performance right in that last third of the movie. But he just he he does not. When he's sitting around the dinner table with the kid, or the, the the mystery table with the kids, whatever you want to call it, I feel like that's a point where he finally gets to uncork Robin Williams. But for the first half of this movie, I'm just like, who is this fucking guy, and why is he in this movie? Because this isn't Robin Williams. I don't know who this guy is. Uh, he's he's just he's held back and not in a good way. I don't know if he wasn't into the movie or what, but the or if Spielberg was just marshalling his performance. I, I don't know. There's just a lot wrong here. And again, not immune to its charms. Uh, there are parts of this film that fill me with joy, that are, fill me with, you know, real emotion. Uh, and there are parts of this film that I really connect to. But overall, it's just really flawed. And again, is it a children's movie? Is it for adults? That's a huge problem. The film has no idea who it was being made for. I mean, it's... It can't be for kids. I mean, the length. That's like an autom- like an automatic... And yet, we show- and yet this film was shown to children, like, constantly in the early 90s. Constantly. No, I remember this. I don't yeah. think that's the. I think that's the only reason why I ever watched it was because it was like TBS or yeah. TNT or something. But again, I don't know who this movie's for. It's not for me. I give it three and a half unfortunate jokes at the expense of a fat kid out of a possible twelve point seven. 
Well, enough with Mr. Skunkhead with too much moose. Uh, what I want to say about this film, and I want to tell you a story. I'm 11 years old. It's Christmas, 1991. Oh, boy. We're about to get the Steven Spielberg schmaltz effect Absolutely right now. we are. And I held hands with the first girl I ever held hands with in my life watching this movie. And it is wonderful. It is the best. It holds up. It makes me so happy. Yes, the effects, the green screen, and all that sort of stuff. It's 1991. This is not Jurassic Park Spielberg. This is before that. And it's sort of that weird place in the middle. So I, I do see where that doesn't hold up. But it is sweet. It is tender. It, um, As a child watching it, the two and a half hours were not long enough. I wanted to stay in Neverland even longer. See, I think the visuals are great. I don't have any... I don't. I think the visuals look fabulous. Oh, yeah. No, I don't have any quibbles even about the sketchiest of green screen moments. I have problems with the unevenness of the tone, the confused themes it's trying to get at and julia roberts's weird insert reactions because she's she's being being recorded on her undisclosed location and just like okay julia um give us one of those big cheesy grins you do okay that'll work moving on incorrect but moving on uh i I, I (laughs) I said bad things about this movie before you were recording and you were shaking your head yes i just let me go on but he but i think you trickster. Dustin <laughs> Dustin is feeling the feels when he held that girl's hand for the first time. Well, no, not Okay, so I want to point out the length of the movie. I did want it to be longer then, too, but for different <laughs> reasons. Oh, no, no, no. I but, wasn't saying but that. But even since then, I read the novelization almost immediately thereafter. Um, thank you, Quentin Wall, for loaning that to me um, back in fifth grade. And uh, so this movie is highly important. Uh, to me, uh, formative as a young person. And then I grew up and I became a dad and it got better because I love my kids and sometimes I'm that guy and sometimes I'm not that guy. I came from my son's fifth grade graduation to record this show uh, right now. It's been a lot more conducive to my schedule if he bailed on that, but whatever. Well, you know. Um, Way to be a good dad, I guess. Well, I could have sent a guy with a VHS recorder, but um, they don't make them anymore. So there's that. Yeah, just send him with his iPhone. <laughs> with his iPhone. And uh, so I, I really, I think it does all the right things. I mean, it, it definitely is... Um, you know, sort of strange at places. I also feel this weird sadness watching it now with Hoskins gone and, and with Robin Williams gone. I, and, yeah, <laughs> that was in full effect for me as well. I forgot to mention Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins is great. He's, he's so good, yes. Uh, the, the, again, there, there are things I like, but like the Smee, I'm going to do it. Don't you try to stop me, Smee. Smee, try to get stop over me. here and stop me. Yeah. I'm trying to kill myself. <laughs> this isn't a joke. That is a fucking hilarious back and yes, forth between Hoskins and Hoffman. That's not for children. Who is this movie for? I thought it was funny then. I think it's funnier now. I, I don't understand who this movie's for. I, I don't think you have to protect children. Um, so I, I don't either. I don't know. I just This movie confuses me and not in a good way. Like, mm. I don't know, The Thin Red Line. Mm, which is a good way. Which is a very... Yeah, it's a good way to be confused. This movie just frustrates me. Because... Because there is good, there are great things, as you said. I think the visuals do fill one with wonder and joy to this day. I think they look great. I love the look of Neverland, but I, I, I can see where you're coming from, Dustin. I just completely and wholeheartedly disagree. That's all. It's it, and it's and it's fine, you know, um, Matt Tudor. And uh, what I would just say is I, I like it very, very much. I give it a full um, five multi-hair-colored uh, mermaids out of a possible five. The mermaids are great, but they shouldn't have seashells. I know that would have launched it, but, like, no real, no non-Disney mermaid is going to have seashells. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, um, that mermaid scene might have been my sexual awakening. 
because See, that's what I was thinking. Well, I would like to point out that is the moment at which I got the courage to hold her to hand. lock fingers with one. Because watching no, watching that, her watching, mermaids resuscitate Robin there was, there was Williams, wa- watching the mermaids resuscitate Williams, uh, as as I was watching it for uh, to this evening uh, in preparation for recording, the entire time I was like, oh, this is bringing back some memories. Little six year old Dalton being like, I don't know what that's about, but I know I want to be a part of it. So yeah, the, I, fond memories are had from this film. I just there are parts of my childhood that this just came flooding back and i appreciate it for that i I think most of the things i appreciate this movie are my memories from it i think it's objectively not good i really do uh again the effects are fine dustin hoffman is fine there are a lot of good things here there are just too many bad and it's too damn long and uh, i don't know i I appreciate everything you said that's why i recognize (laughs) hoskins it was also because he was in neverland in 2011 Bob Hoskins was? Well, he was Smee in Neverland. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either. Eddie yeah. Valiant from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. It's a good episode. <clears throat> but moving on, thank you, thank you, thank you, dear co-hosts, for uh, your thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Now you know where we're coming from, where our biases lie in our analysis. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today because we're all a little disheveled like drowned rats coming in uh, from um, some deep, deep bowels of one of Captain Hook's ships. Uh, due to the flooding and whatnot that's going on. I've just played a hell of a baseball game. I got shot at like three times. Yeah. Oh, that was a priceless scene. That's a scene. great joke. Yeah. So there, good. there are good jokes in this movie. Just, But yeah, we're going to do something different as opposed to having each having our own unique analysis. I think we're just going to talk through a sort of singular analysis. Is that what you were thinking, Dustin? Well, we have kind of two points as we discussed off mic. I know you have something you want to bring up, Dalton, mm-hmm. and I have something I'd like to discuss that I've discussed in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I thought maybe we would just do that and then just kind of go back and forth. And, uh, and and so if I give I give the table to you, Mr. Stewart. Uh, what say you? Well, there, there's a problem with this film that I don't really know how to deal with, and I I think the central message of remembering what's important in life is great, and not letting yourself uh, fall prey to, to the rat race is, is great. I like that kind of thing. I think the way in which Peter Banning um, is encouraged to revisit being Peter Pan. I, Something about it just doesn't ring true to me, and something about it just feels like shirking your responsibilities. Um, again, he leaves his wife sitting in that room catatonically crying for three days to go to go play Peter Pan. Um, I don't know. I, and again, he gets taken there by Tinkerbell. I know like it makes sense within the context of the story. I'm just saying the end message of this film appears to be, you know, there's something to be said for not growing up a little bit. Uh, and that seems to be the central thesis that Spielberg is putting forward. Uh, and I would say, I mean, yeah, that's all well and good, but you have a family you need to provide for. You had those children, that was a choice you made, and now you need to provide for them. You should be providing for them emotionally as well, so maybe get out of high-time corporate lawyering, but maybe don't, you know, throw away your cell phone while you're on an important business call. You know, make better choices, but don't completely shirk your responsibilities either, because... And maybe it's just because I'm old and jaded, and I like growing up. I like being an adult. Being an adult is great. You get to vote. You get to drive. You get to buy booze. You get to gamble. Being an adult is great. You get to go to the movies whenever you want. You don't have to sneak into R-rated movies. You can go see Mad Max Fury Road at 11 o'clock because you just want to. No, you don't have to ask anybody. Being an adult is fucking cool. And what this film is saying is, isn't being a child so great? No, being a child kind of sucks. It's terrifying, and you're afraid of everything, and you don't 
understand why your parents are getting divorced and why that kid transferred away and you don't you don't understand anything everything is frightening and and full of terror and not knowing what to do with yourself because you're just a gangle of fucking limbs and every time you walk you fall over yourself and someone calls you a fag like being a child is the worst is what i'm saying it does get better it does does get better uh because being a child is about the worst it's ever going to be yes responsibilities are hard yes being an adult is hard it is not easy nothing in life is easy it's cold it's lonely and then you die but it's beautiful and it's wonderful and part of the beauty and wonder of life is growing up and it feels like Hook is telling us that part of life is the worst and you should remember the best part which is being a child which no it's not because he was a fr- and that's the thing he's, he's, that we get from Williams in this is I ran away I, in my stroller I ran away because being an adult sounded scary and this movie I remember being a child and being like he's right being an adult does sound super scary this movie made me very afraid to grow up I went through a really weird existential crisis when I was like 10 mm-hmm. where adults had terrified me mm-hmm. just and I knew that I would be an adult one day I was you know I'm smart you know 10 year olds are smart enough to know they're gonna grow up and die that's how it works um, and that's Pan is afraid of dying uh, Pan says to Hook you're afraid of that clock because it means time is going forward and you are going to die. And again, Peter, in that big monologue about, you know, what the fear of becoming an adult, part of the fear of being an adult meant he had to die one day. And again, I think this film is just like encouraging you to be an ostrich and stick your head in the sand and uh, relive your childhood and be stuck in constant adolescence, which my entire generation seems to be doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just try to forget that you're going to die. And I know I'm ranting a lot right now, but that... To me, the hollowness and the falseness of this movie's central message made it really hard for me to connect with a lot of it. Hmm. Well, I, I can definitely tell you're speaking strongly about it, and I can almost interpret that from an also, like, it, your exact premise, but from a more feminist angle, because I think that it's really fascinating to me, and this is maybe more critique of... Um, well, in taking the, the, the perspective on the original work, Peter and Wendy, um, it is fascinating keep in mind gender roles during that time in England that, you know, whenever the children go out on the adventure, the two little brothers become part of the Lost Boys troop. And Peter is obviously the leader of the Lost Boys, but Wendy becomes the mother and she's taking care of them. And she's still yet a child, but she's also on this island, should be having the same fantastical adventures as Peter does. And she does to some extent, but a lot of it is dealing with the cooking and the cleaning and the Hermione Grangering of it being like, boys, boys, come on. It's that, it's that third, it's that position whenever you have those three radio DJs and one of them's a woman, she's the one. So there's this kind of the straight man, there's the, the funny goofy yeah. man. And then there's, uh, the, the, the morning zoo. Uh, yeah. Mark Marin has a bit about this. Yeah. She's the one there's, that's saying boys, boys, stop there's, with there's, your nonsense. There's the dirty guy, the, um, TJ Janet and J-Rod. Yeah. There's the sarcastic guy, the dirty guy, and the the lady trying to marshal it all. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I thought that sounded familiar. I was like, oh wait, we watched that uh, yeah. Thinky Pain. Yeah, Mark Maron yeah. has a bit about that. About and you're absolutely right. Women are expected in both, you know, in talk radio and in fiction, they are expected to fulfill this role of marshaling everything together. And that's what the women in this film are left to do. Even yeah. even the young Maggie uh, yes. is left to say, run home, Jack, run home. Uh, our parents are going to miss us. Don't steal away with this fucking murderer and rapist mm-hmm. with his crazy hook hand and his twirly mustache um, because our parents are going to be really sad when we don't come home because they're going to think we're dead. 
Yeah. 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 I and, absolutely agree. Alex. Uh, yeah. So like the shirking of the responsibilities and the one whenever responsibilities are successfully shirked, they typically seem to fall on the woman. I don't really. One thing I don't really like is that utterly random Tinkerbell moment where my emotions just got too big. Oh my god. I okay. Mm-hmm. That that made me feel so uncomfortable. That that scene wasn't necessary at it's all. So strange. It, it just yep. Uh, they just wanted an excuse got, to film them in the same room. Yeah, I think. They they wanted and ex- in her in that dress. Well, uh, Julie Roberts is contractually obligated to wear a pretty dress and actually get to be on the set. So let's have her, I guess, have sexual feelings for Peter. What the fuck? Yeah. Who wrote this movie? Yeah. What madman wrote this film? <laughs> I thought that it was kind of a weird. It was a weird moment for me. Um, it's very unsettling. Yeah, and it was totally unnecessary because you still also have the weirdness with the fact that old grand grandma Wendy is Peter's Wendy, the one that there was romantic chemistry there too and so but she was left behind like Mm -hmm. you know all the other women in this movie i feel like making tinkerbell like a definite female instead of like a kind of a spirit form entity like puck how i consider puck or any of like other mystical fairy type creatures i think that's like a bad choice because Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be kind of above all that like Mm -hmm. mystical spirits are typically but you also know, gendering um, them really hard. Also, Wendy just lets Peter Pan kiss her sleeping granddaughter. Yeah, weird, strange. Yeah. Weird. So weird. anyway, so the kind of the premise that I'm building off from you, there's this kind of shirking responsibilities motif. Um, but then on laying on top of that is who is actually picking up the responsibilities once they're shirked, and it's going to yeah. be the women that mm-hmm. are taking relegated to traditional gender roles that are picking mm-hmm. up after them. You know, I want, I want to talk about the existential aspect of it because I think what Hook presents is two different adult options um, that are sort of extremes, and I want to suggest a third way. Um, and, and, you know, at one end of it, we've got Peter who is going to, you know, reject, you know, responsibility, as you say, and become sort of a man child, a cadult, Arthur Gordon might say. Yeah. And he would say. And he has he, said. And he, yeah. And so uh, check out all those Simon Pegg, uh, uh, Edgar Wright, Nick Frost episodes. Uh, for Except that. for World's End because he hates us. Yeah, Arthur Gordon, not Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Correct. Um, they don't know us, um, which is like the coldest form of hate. <laughs> but moving on, uh, then we have Hook, um, Captain James A. Hook, who is um, fearful of death and mm-hmm. sort of does this sort of <clears throat> becomes something of a monster and sort of rebels against that, and and it just just becomes this 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 buffoonish and uh, really scary mm-hmm. um, sort of caricature. And then we've got, of course, the Peter Banning character who is just obsessed with work and mm-hmm. those kind of things, and is co- totally lost any sort of connection uh, with reality. And it, it seems to me that um, those things are all, as as, as Dalton said, um, ostrich moves, where we, we hide from realities of life. And then the fact of the matter is, I think one of the most liberating things you can do for yourself is realize that one out of every one people dies. Yeah. That every... Fact. S- we, we all die. We are all children for a time. And there is beauty and wonder and, and glorious parts of being a child and then being an adult, as Dalton said. Um, you can actually live some of the best parts of childhood that you had to miss, like eat ice cream at 1030. Uh, you can do what you want. And that's all nice yeah. and fine and wonderful. But uh, I think you, about can, the, you can leave your light on when you walk out of a room. Uh, but then you remember you were responsible for that electrical bill, so you better believe I turn my bathroom light off. Correct. And if you leave my bathroom light on when you're in my apartment, we're going to have words. Words have been had. In fact, it's true facts. And but but I get what you're saying, absolutely. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right. They're all 
hiding moves. I forgot to touch on that. Peter Baiting, uh, before he you know goes through his transformation, is also hiding from life by mm-hmm. burying himself in work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you know again a liberating move in life. And this is out of existential philosophy. This is Soren Kierkegaard, uh, who says you should divine life forward and live it backwards. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. How would you like to die? Would you like to die surrounded by family and friends and people who love you and care about you? Are you going to call for your bank statements? Are you going to call for uh, your diplomas? Are you going to call for uh, your trophies and whatever accoutrements of your performances? Or would you like to have people in your life that you've invested in, that you've loved and have loved you back, uh, surrounding you at that moment when you do die? Oh, and Kierkegaard says this, and all the existentialists say this, you have to make a choice. And not making a choice is still a choice. And I think uh, Peter has that said to him at one point uh, Mm -hmm. in this film. Um, choosing choosing to hide, that's still a choice. Uh, and if you continue to refuse to make choices, those are the choices you've made because life is defined by the making of choices, or so the existentialists would argue. And instead of rather pre- instead of pretending like the abyss is not coming, instead of presenting like pre- pre- pretending like those things are not going to occur, you don't have to look into the abyss for it to look right back at you. It's always looming over you. It's coming anyway, you know. And and what I've tried to do with my life, and I think what I would recommend to all of our dear listeners, I'm thinking about um, hook a little bit deeper. It's a, it's a look at the fact is death is not the only adventure. But death is an adventure that's coming, and life's an adventure too. And we should live well till we die. And uh, that in the meantime, uh, know that that's coming, and figure out how you want to end up. And whatever that goal is, that telos, they Mm -hmm. would say in philosophical terms, uh, whatever your telic thrust is in life, that you would actually make it, it, you would organize your life, you would make choices in your life that would actually get you closer to said goal, knowing that death is unpredictable and capricious. And And, and that's, I guess, one of my biggest problems, is that it doesn't present uh, Peter with a third way. Yes. Um, He he either buries himself in work or buries himself in endless childhood, and, and doesn't find a way to marry those two. Well, let me further complicate this with um, a, sort of a standard reading of S- Spielberg, at least for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, sh- go ahead. I was just going to say, you mentioned this previously, I believe, on our Jaws episode. Or uh, it our, or no, our, Jurassic Park. Was our Jurassic Park episode? And okay. then again on the Tempest Fugit episode, where Tempest Fugit, it, being heavily, Nick Sanford's independent film, is heavily influenced by Spielberg. And he okay. does something different than Spielberg does. But... Um, the, the idea of the obscene father. Now, this comes from a philosopher, film critic, Chavoy uh, Zizek, whose name, if you listen to the show often, has been mentioned more than once. Oh, yeah. And uh, the Zizek says that... As, as we often call him. Um, well, only his friends. Well, yeah, I mean, when I call the Zizek, you know, to chat, I don't, I don't say, hey, Slavo, how's it going? I say, Zizek, my man, how's it hanging? That's exactly how it goes down. And he usually says, pervertedly, There is nothing, basically. I mean it quite literally. But then how do things emerge? Here, I feel a kind of spontaneous affinity with quantum physics, where, you know, the idea there is that universe is a void, but a kind of a positively charged void. And then particular things appear when the balance of the void is disturbed. <laughs> and uh, But the Gis says that um, most of, uh, of Spielberg's films are uh, these uh, stories of obscene fathers who are who are terrible bad fathers who neglect their children who who fail to recognize any value that they have and then suddenly you know the joy of being a good father comes it happens with Dr. Grant in Jurassic Park he doesn't like kids you know baby smell uh, they're expensive those sort of things and then he's holding hands with Tim and Lex as they're walking and making their way out of Jurassic Park 
Um, or uh, the, the, the most monstrous example that he gives in a political reading of Schindler's List, where there's this sort of patriarchal Oscar Schindler to these uh, Jewish children that are his, and then he eventually starts to care about them. Mm-hmm. And so there's this sort of continual thing that's going on. And I think, of course, this is uh, part and parcel to what's going on in Hook as well, but I think it's further complicated by this idea that there is... Um, Something going on with Peter in which he is avoiding this sort of um, obscene fatherhood by creating for himself a fantasy. I'm not saying the Neverland sequence doesn't happen in the, in, in the, in the story of the film. I'm not presenting one of those sort of wacko Room 237 theories. But everything Or that one it, of those world in theories. Right. Uh, as, as you want, or want to do sometimes. Well, so, I mean, D- cross Dustin's Dustin, a big fan of uh, weird fan of making his own weird fan theories. It's a fun thing. It's I a, could do a weird fan reading on this fan theory reading, but I'll do that after you finish your thought. But interestingly, what what Peter does is he gets good and drunk, right, and then he wakes up good and drunk with bottles all around him with Smee actually a real world character not not a not a see character. that's what I'm reading into it and then the fact that because what you could read. That, that he just went on a three-day bender because he's so upset about losing his kids. Because if you remember, he's like on the phone with Brad and he's like saying all this stuff and he definitely says pixie dust. He definitely sounds like he'd just been high off his ass the entire weekend. Like, because he's been struggling with the fact that he lost his kids and he doesn't know where they are. And so whenever he gets back, he discovers, oh my God, they're already home. They've already been recovered. And, you know, he just kind of tripped acid for the rest of that time. It was just in a total bender state. But his particular obscene fatherhood is interesting. Um, he's, 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 he's in a situation where um, all the men are out to get him, including his son, Jack. Uh, eventually, you know, Jack, um, there's no parachute. Where's my parachute, Jack? Yeah. Um, Hook is out to get him. The Lost Boys are initially out to get them. Those who are worth being won over are indeed won over. Um, those who are not like Hook sort of gain some sort of uh, competitive respect for uh, Peter. And then every. Rufio. Ruf, well, Rufio and Hook. And Hook, yes. Yeah. So who are you referring to, is, uh, is what I assumed. Uh, and, 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 and eventually Jack, as, yeah. as far as the big culmination well, I, of the film. I, I think his neurosis of, of lying to himself starts even earlier, though, before he goes on Everland. You know, his, his pathology of pretending he's not an obscene father, my word is my bond. The <laughs> shit it is, Banning. The um, shit it is. Why? Okay. And I have to say, why would anyone say something like that? If it isn't, that is a very serious sounding turn of phrase for it to, uh, yeah. Like it's not just saying, Oh, I will honey. Or I promise my word is my bond. Like unnecessarily serious to only have him like shit all over it. I never say my word is my bond because I'm full of shit. Well, I I would think if anyone would, would be foolish enough to utter such a phrase, they would, you know, come hell or high water, make sure they, they, they come up on it. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. His his pathology starts even earlier. He's lying, deluding himself into thinking he's a good dad when he is not. And, and then there's another interesting aspect is that all the female characters are utterly committed to him through in Neverland, um, uh, beginning with the merwomen, mm-hmm. right? Who who immediately throw themselves at him. We have Tinkerbell, who is the ultimate cheerleader, and then we have Maggie, who never ever gives up on him. I was say it's the women are committed to him within and without of Neverland. His wife and Maggie yeah. and Wendy are or not Maggie, sorry. <clears throat> Moira. Uh, Moira and Wendy, yeah, are both devoted to him. Wendy wants him to remember who he is. Um, uh, Moira, you know, 
despite every reason to give up on him, doesn't. Right. She throws the phone out and says, no, pay attention, you're going to miss this. Uh, but they are devoted to him and allowing him to fuck up and trying to stop him from doing so. And, and what's what, what the film ends up becoming is that he creates for himself this image that he's a superhero. Mm-hmm. That he is a superhero, that he is really, you know, the best guy ever, that he's chosen from this, you know, obscure past. Um, he's got an origin story that he's unaware of with amnesia and everything else that goes alongside it. And that uh, once everyone re- realizes just how super he is, they will all have their love either justified, mm-hmm. that has been going on all this time, or, which he feels guilty because he recognizes he's sort of a schlub and fails, mm-hmm. or those who are combative towards him because of his failures will then see past that mm-hmm. and say, that's my dad, yeah. like Jack does. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's and again, that's not that's not like a Looney Tunes uh, reading uh, where none of this happened, which, mm-hmm. which Alex kind of um, proposed. It's just, yeah, it's the pathology of the character. And in this particular film, the obscene father, I think, remains obscene. I, I think I would agree with that. And again, it's because the film doesn't present a, a third way for him to be, as we touched on earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think he, he's a more attentive father. I think he's a more loving father. But he's still, it's, it's loving him on his terms still, I think. Mm. Uh, and again, a lot of the times you can see past your analysis of a film. You can see past your, your, your ideological issues with the film uh, and still appreciate it. For me, my issues with the film that we've just kind of discussed are really what prevented me in a lot of ways from connecting with it. I certainly can set it aside. But. Yeah, and, and again, sometimes I can. Sometimes I'm able to, and sometimes I'm not. Um, <clears throat> Team will not able to set it aside. For instance. For instance. The faculty, another example. You were not able to set it aside. Correct. Uh, Equilibrium, an example where you were able to set it aside. Yes. The Grey as well for you. Yes, great movie, but wrong. Yeah. Oh, The Grey is such a good movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Dustin's wrong. I know. Uh, well, no, it's great. You're wrong. I'm we're right. not going to get into this again. <laughs> Sorry, we're... I just like, because Dal- Dalton and I are in 100% agreement on our reading. <laughs> Listener, if you want to hear me and Dustin go at each other for about 30 minutes over the gray while Arthur and Alex just kind of look at us. <laughs> uh, I wish you could have all been in the room because they're just kind of wide-eyed gazing at us while me and Dustin are just going back and forth over that movie. I heard Alex softly crying, why are mom and daddy fighting? <laughs> <laughs> that makes... Yeah, that's that's. Uh, you know, true. I still love you, baby. It's, it was good times. It was it was definitely definitely good times. And but I think again, this film does some interesting things, and I do think it has an interesting play with Zizek's theory because even though the the, the thing that we're supposed to take from it is that oh, see, he's all better. It's it's not that he's all better. He is again continuing the fantasy. I'm a superhero now, mm, yeah. and that's why I'm he wins. A superhero it. now. He, he wins everybody over because if you knew who I was on the inside, in spite of all my evidence to the contrary, you would all just you know, love me in despair. And I just, no, I don't buy that. And so I find that that's something that troubles the film. Well, there you go, dear listener. There is our sort of semi-roundtable, um, less formal analysis of the film Hook. Dear listener, what do you think about what we said? Are there other readings out there? Is there something sociological? Is there something about class structure? It's interesting what goes on with Liza um, as a servant who also immediately kisses Peter on the mouth. When he makes it into um, Wendy's home. Despite his inability to remember her name. Yes. Lisa? Lisa. Liza. Lisa. 
So, uh, there you go, dear listener. We'd love to hear about that. We'd love to hear about anything else that could possibly be going on. There are probably some other very interesting, more Freudian readings of this particular film. And uh, please, please um, send them to us all um, by those magical means that we all know as social media. And uh, But before we get into that and how that all happens, let's do our uh, moment of verdict, our moment of decision, where the hook comes down, the gangplank is lowered, shell for trash, else or instead, Davy Jones's locker, or somewhere in the Lost Boys treehouse. I ask you first, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Lock this shit in Wendy's Fort. Let's leave it there. You don't need this on your shelf. It's on cable all the time. It's on Netflix. That is not essential Spielberg. It is not essential Robin Williams. It's not essential Dustin Hoffman. Maybe the kid that plays Jack. It's essential because he's basically just been in this and. Um, yeah, he said he re- he's retired from acting. Well, he did this and then that awesome '90s movie. Uh, Can't hardly wait. So mm. good. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't need this movie. You don't need this in your life. If you remember it fondly, keep doing that. If you really want to revisit it again, it's very easy to do so. You don't need to own this movie. Uh, instead, I would recommend. Uh, one, uh, another Spielberg film that I think better captures the wonder of childhood, and that's E.T., uh, because it does bring in the terror and dread of childhood with, with the beauty, with the wonder. Uh, I think it blends all of that together very nicely. Uh, I would also recommend another Spielberg movie, Dealing with Aliens, uh, again, uh, that is a better take on the obscene father, which is Close Encounters. I just think that portrayal uh, that Richard Dreyfuss uh, gives us of the obscene father and that Spielberg uh, crafted... I think it's much better. I think it's a better movie, obviously. Uh, and finally, I, I think a film that really speaks to the complexities of the father-son relationship much better than this film does uh, is The Tree of Life uh, by Terrence Malick, which uh, longtime listeners on the show will know is a movie I, I, I don't love, I, that I have a very complicated relationship with, but I think its portrayal of a father-son relationship is extremely valuable, uh, and I think it really does speak a lot. Uh, to the to the problems on both sides of that relationship, on, on how difficult it is to be a father, uh, and also how hard it is to understand your father as a child, and how he, he is essentially a god, and you know our, our fathers are our models for God, and um, in a lot of ways, I think God, Brad Pitt's performance in that movie is so great, and uh, Ty Sheridan, I believe, is the, the child in that movie, I could be wrong on that, um, don't quote me, um, but yeah, I think that's a much better take on, on the complexities of the father-son relationship than the film Hook, by far. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, shell for trash, and what are your else's or instead's? Uh, it's just, I wish I could, I, I'm going to lovingly <clears throat> deposit it into the trash. Like, I'm not going to slam it into the trash. I'm not going to punt it into the trash. But I do, I mean, my verdict is pretty similar to Dalton's. Like, if you, if you have the burning desire to watch this, you will find a channel on television that is showing this movie probably right now. I mean, it, that is super easy to Just find. The law of averages somewhere at some time, Hook is on television. Yeah, and the fact that they, I don't know, do they ever, do they edit it down a little? God, I certainly hope so. It's a two and a half hour long movie. <laughs> One would assume, because I don't think I Spielberg ever. Spielberg could have used a little bit more editing down of it. I don't remember the mermaid sequence. Oh, I do. On cable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh, well, I, I should have figured it. Anyway. That's where I've seen this movie the most. Again, okay. I might have owned this on VHS as a child. But again, most of my memories of this film are seeing it with commercial breaks. Okay. Because I remembered where some of the commercial breaks went when we were watching this. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you've seen a movie a lot. Put the VCR on pause. Okay. Anyway, um, so, yeah, it's just, it's a trash. I gestured over to Dalton's 
trash can, as I said. That It's just, there are other movies that are childhood embodiment type films, like My Else, The Goonies, fun adventure film, yes. kind of campy schmaltzy, but you know, it's it'll kind of do the same things that it's got like that kid kid venture uh, feel for I'm it. I'm a bad millennial, I've never seen The Goonies. I have seen it only like a couple of times, but in tone they're similar. There's a bizarre Freudian reading of that. They're trying to find one-eyed Willie's treasure. I'm just saying. Okay. Found it. That went a really strange direction. Well, that's what they do. It. I'm just saying that joke's on purpose. I yeah. Okay. Well, um, my other recommendation, not necessarily a movie, and I have no idea what you, how you'd actually do this, but try and actually watch the Broadway version of Peter Pan that usually has Kathy Rigby as Peter, because on Broadway, it's the tradition that Peter is always played by a woman, a mm-hmm. woman with a pixie haircut that's usually adorable. NBC and see, uh, did that live musical yes. version with Allison Williams, who's great. Yeah, and, uh, and I think that having Peter cast as a woman really does works well with getting around all of this weird sexual tension that can kind of overlay in this. I mean, not to say that they don't have a relationship and that the relationship couldn't be interpreted as having like a little bit of a romantic overtone, but at the same time, it's just like it. Peter is also seen more as a being like akin to Tinkerbell in terms of, they're like kind of just spiritual beings that don't necessarily have a gender that's you know like human by mm-hmm. in any way they're just entities um i think that's more useful in looking at peter um than thinking peter's a guy and he went off and had a family and he had kids and you know romance happened and kissing girls and and tinkerbell's a girl and i think that's not as this movie would been much more interesting if uh, Peter and Moira were a same-sex couple. Oh, that would have been interesting. Right. Hmm. Petra. Welcome. Hmm. You're welcome. Yeah. Anyway, so I checked those out. Plus, the music is just really great in that musical. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I am going to go ahead and say Shelf, because I like Spielberg, and I like this movie, and it's very, very fun. I had the VHS, I had the DVD, and get off me. Maybe the laser disc and the beta as well. Um, no, incorrect. But um, if I had opportunity, probably would have happened. So I, I like it. I'm going to go ahead and say shelf, but it's it, it's a soft shelf. It's it's a it's a dollar bin kind of shelf. Yeah. I, you find it. I think you should have a copy. I mean, it's great. It's a lot of fun. And I do feel bad for Spielberg. He doesn't like this movie very much. Does he not? No. Not anymore? No, he's never really cared for it. Oh. He's got issues with it. He's like, one day I hope I can revisit it and find something I like in it. Hmm. Yeah, he's got a lot of problems with this movie. Well, I, I'm, su- I'm surprised we never really that. talked about Julia Roberts' performance besides her oddness. I just, for some reason in my mind, I thought Natalie Portman was Tinkerbell for the longest time. But I know the age line doesn't, the no. age timeline does not work. But then. I, I think Julia Roberts is always delightful. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, her performance in this movie and a lot of other movies is a little weird. Yeah. Well, I, I think she's a, she's a, she's just a delight. She's so charming. Mm-hmm. She's a movie star, not an actress. She's got charisma. For yeah. Day. For days, uh, she got the, she got a lovely smile. Yeah, but again, act, movie star not actress, which is something you know. The movie star actor distinction is something I make a lot. I think Denzel's a movie star not an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just one example that popped. Um, Johnny Depp, despite his insistence that he's an actor, is a movie star mm-hmm. um, at this point. At yeah. this point, I, I think earlier in his career he was an actor. He's a movie star now. He's not mm-hmm. an actor any longer. Uh, Brad Pitt wanted to be an actor and was too pretty to be one, so he's a movie star. 
I mean, I think examples are rampant, but yeah, yeah. I, I wish we had gotten around to Julie Roberts a little bit more as well, Alex. Um, what I would say for my um, Elsa's then, um, in <clears throat> terms of uh, facing death and facing it uh, well, uh, check out Robert Duvall's Get Low, which is I've heard of this. Which is about it's a, recent, right? It's a pretty recent film, and uh, it's a man who wants to have his funeral and be there before he dies. Doesn't he go become a pastor in like another town? No. There are pastors from other towns in it. Maybe that's what... I, I think I might be thinking of the same movie. But it's it's, it's pretty brilliant and uh, suggests some questions of that whole defining life forward and then living it backward according to Kierkegaard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in terms of just childhood and growing up and adulthood and what that all means, uh, check out Kevin Costner in Perfect World. And uh, there's a he's, a... he's a convict who's on the run and kidnaps a kid and takes a kid with him. And there are these crazy father-son sort of talks that happen uh, throughout... And uh, it's a really pretty brilliant film. And uh, good times will be had by all in watching it. I think it might be Clint Eastwood directed now that I think about it, but I'm not sure of that. So don't quote me or hold me to that, dear listener. I'm talking off the top of my head. So thank you very much for those selections, dear co-hosts. Let's move on to the opportunity that the dear listener would have to give us feedback via those magical, mystical, supernatural, never-landy sort of pixie dust means that we all know as social media. I ask you, Alexander Bohannon, do you know anything about those media means by which conversations are held? You can find the Good Trash Genre Cast at www.facebook.com forward slash Good Trash Genre Cast. Thank you. Is there any feedback coming in from that Facebook? No. That makes me so sad, you guys. Please talk to us because we have likes and those are fabulous and, um, and views and page likes, which are are fantastic as well but you know we want to hear what you guys think and lately you guys haven't been super chatty and i just wonder why that is and i also wonder why so many of you guys are unliking our facebook page because whenever you know whenever i got like that big influx of likes it was like 127 and now we're like at 123 people keep like every other week or so lately it's just been unlike a week what did we do what have we done listener don't walk away from this. This is the most beautiful thing you'll ever experience. Come back to me. Come back to me. That's so creepy. It's going to continue to be a really weird recurring joke until I get bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media means by which conversations could be held, perhaps involving a monologue? That's it. Don't make a move, Dustin. Not a step. My finger is on the tweet button. Don't try to stop me, Dustin. This is it. Don't try to stop me, Dustin. Do not try to stop me, Dustin. Don't you dare try to stop me this time, Dustin. Try to stop me, Dustin. Dustin, get off your ass and try to stop me. Dustin, come over here. Stop me. This is not a joke. I'm tweeting. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from that Twitter, Dalton Stewart? Uh, No, not really. Lots of retweets and favorites for our uh, posting of our Blade 2 episode. Uh, which you should listen to because we had a lot of fun with that and you can check out now. Uh, But no, there is no actual uh, written feedback other than a a brief post from uh, Brigham Cole in regards to the um, development of the Preacher television series, which we've talked about a lot on the show lately. And uh, I have posted a link, or I've retweeted the link. 
Excellent. All right. Well, dear listener, please give us that feedback. We do love to hear from you. You can also give us ratings on iTunes. You can give us ratings on Stitcher Internet Radio and other locations uh, there, and we will read those on the air. You can give us a long-form email at uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com, and we would love to get it from there as well and uh, just to keep the conversation going. But um, enough of this foolishness, dear listener. I think it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! This week's game, Cinematic Happy Thoughts. That's right, Cinematic Happy Thoughts. When you need to think of a thing in a movie that makes you happy, think of James Hook's sweet two-cigar smoking hook attachment. That was really kind of crazy. He's got a lot of delightful hook attachments. And how would that produce more smoke? That would be acrid. It'd be unbearable. I have no idea. Would it be effective, though? (sighs) Smoking two cigars through a cigarette holder? (laughs) Piped into one cigarette holder? Probably not. Seems like crazy. It looks wacky, though, so that's fun. Somebody in props had a great By the way, set design and props. Yeah. Oh! Props to set design and props. Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that as well. That's something that definitely holds up in this movie. The redeemable... The super redeemable parts of this movie are devoted to those two areas, I'd say. So let's go ahead and move into those picks, dear co-hosts. Your favorite cinematic happy thoughts, Ms. Alexandra Bohannon. Go. Well, as I was cataloging my favorite cinematic happy thoughts, I realized that most of them have something in common, and most of it is a really, really kick-ass score, may or may not be by John Williams. So, um, when it, one of... One of my favorite uh, cinematic happy thoughts is that moment whenever Harry is going over the lake the first time, and you get that swell the of the of it's not Hedwig's theme, but it's the the main theme of the core choir, and you see the castle and the boats, and it's just you get chills every time you you see that, um, and just you you really realize how. Your, your home at Hogwarts and it's a wonderful beautiful moment and then another cinematic happy thoughts is probably the first the first time you really hear the Raiders march in um, any Indiana Jones movie usually doing something really uh, kick ass I'd say that frequently involving a whip yeah I'd say that one of one of the best parts are whenever it's like the big reveal that it's like oh snap it's Indy and it's either the shadow or what have you and and can Combine that with the Raiders March, it's a really wonderful um, time. I'm trying to think if I have another one. Somebody else go, and I'll I'll see Jump if I have another ahead. one. Well, Mr. Dallas Stewart, go. Well, the, I, I thought a lot of these are from my childhood, and a lot of the, a lot of these are just things that I think about and they make me happy, or things like I, I enjoy quoting with my friends. Uh, the first one that came to mind uh, was Tom Hanks telling us that he was running. Um, when Forrest Gump goes for that run, there's something about that moment uh, because it's coming straight out of a real deep in, in the happy feels uh, point in the movie Forrest Gump uh, after Jenny's left him. Um, and he just says, for no particular reason, I went for a run. And, you know, anytime I was going somewhere, I would run in. Um, so, the, I don't know, that whole sequence just always really cheers me up and it makes me really happy, especially because it comes after a real, real sad point in that film. So that, that always uh, brings me a great deal of joy. Uh, Arthur and his Knigget's being taunted by the Frenchman uh, makes me laugh so hard it's, every single yes. time I watch the Holy Grail. 
Oh my god. I, when we did that for the the show, we did an episode over the Holy Grail as part of our, our month of favorites in a celebration of our 100th episode. That was The Holy Grail was Alex's pick, and we all watched it together, and god, I just die laughing every time. I think it's so hysterical. Um, when Queenan, uh, played by Mark Wabeg, uh, meets Alec Baldwin's FBI agent in The Departed, they have a hilarious exchange. Sorry I'm late. Staff Sergeant Dignam is our liaison to the undercover section. His undercover work is extensive. He's here to give us his report, Sergeant Dignam. Okay. My people are out there. They're like fucking Indians. You're not gonna see them, and you're not gonna hear about them, except through me or Captain Queenan. You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Unfortunately, this shithole has more fucking leaks than the Iraqi Navy. Fuck yourself. I'm tired from fucking your wife. How's your mother? Good, she's tired from fucking my father. Wahlberg, uh, they, they get together and Alec Baldwin asks him how his mother is and he said, she's good, she's tired from fucking my father. <laughs> Just like, they do have this whole back and forth about whose mother's fucking who and it makes me laugh every time and, and it's me and Nick Sanford and several other friends of mine will just, we'll just say, how's your mother? Good, she's tired from fucking my father. It's just, it makes me laugh every time I think about it and it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's played for laughs in the movie but it's just kind of like a, a fun little snarky back and forth and it's a very quick, almost throwaway exchange in the film. But it just makes me laugh every time I think about it because it's Alec Baldwin and Mark Wahlberg of all people. It's funny. It's really great. Uh, finally, um, when Neo looks at Trinity, looks back at the elevator and says, there is no spoon. And he shoots out that elevator and they go rocketing forward and the whole lobby explodes in a great big fireball. Man, uh, that that capper to the famous lobby shootout in the Matrix just makes me so feel so inspired every mm-hmm. time when when Neo realizes there is no spoon and all things can be accomplished through hard work. Um, there's something very inspirational about that to me, and it always makes me feel very good and and gives me the happy thoughts to fly, man. Excellent, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I begin my first pick as something of a cheat: Ghostbusters, all of it. Yeah, just the whole thing. Just, just Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's fair. It just, you can have those. Yeah, yeah it, just, it makes me insanely happy. Um, Kevin Costner. Wait, are you the Keymaster? <laughs> yes. I'm the gatekeeper, bruh. I'm a friend of his, actually. <laughs> he told me to, he would meet me here. Um, I could go all day. Yeah. I love that movie so much. Somebody and, should go over to, uh, I'm going to go over and check out my spirit. I'm going to go check out my spirit's house. <laughs> And so uh, I love that very, 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 very much. Um, also, I'm always uh, made to cry the man tears of happiness in uh, w- with a line from Kevin Costner in Man of Steel where young Clark oh. s- says, uh, why can't I just be your son? And he says, you are my son. Have I, have, I guys, have I told you guys about this? I think I mentioned this on the show, listener. I took my adopted father to see Man of Steel for Father's Day. And we both, I, I, I didn't look over at him because I knew he was crying too, but we're just both just sitting next to each other weeping during that moment. I mean, it's just, oh, absolutely, Dustin, absolutely. And now I'm going to tell my story uh, about this, watching this movie for the very first time with my youngest son, who was seven years old at the time, and I'm sitting by there and I'm getting the weepies. Mm-hmm. And, oh no, not this story! And I've, and, and and you know, my my boys know all of my parentage and all my story. And yeah, my, Dustin's basically me, but with kids. Uh, yeah, and, and and so something, you know, things have gone on that were not so great, and I and I've been very very open and clear with that with my boys. And Josiah says to me, "I'm sorry you had a bad daddy, but you're a good daddy to me." <sighs> and, oh, <laughs> every time, and I had to stop the movie. 
Um, oh. So it, it, it's a it's a big and important moment uh, for yeah. me. Now let's lighten it up, okay? Because we we needs to. Um, I like that you and your son get out in the air. Me and my dad just sit there in silence and cry and don't look at each other <laughs> and just like feel the, the just the emotion like crackle in the electrons between us, <laughs> right. and that's enough. All the molecules in the room move. Crackle. We walk electrons. out of the theater. I pat him on the back and go, "Love you, dad." And that's it. Yeah, that's, that's enough it. said. That's I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Um, there's another sort of dad moment that is also sweet and sort of weepy, but uh, it's gonna, it's, we're going to move on. It's going to get happier, I promise, dear listener. And also Forrest Gump, two moments. Magic Legs. Bro, bro. I, magic Legs, I know the other one you're going to say. And the other part where um, he meets his son, young Forrest, for the first time, and he asks Jenny, is he... And, and, and oh my gosh, the care and love, it's just... It's wonderful. It's a happy thought for me. I'm about to start. I thought about. I wanted to go with the purely just joyous moment. I thought about that moment. It I, makes me so happy. It, it makes it. It fills my heart to the brim, listener. And I know it's popular to shit on Forrest Gump because it stole the Oscar from Pulp Fiction. It's a good movie. Just because it's schmaltzy doesn't mean it's not good. Right. That scene is beautiful and full of true human emotion. And I think that's why, despite, I mean, it, it brings the tears out like no other, but it is a true human moment in that film. And Absolutely. I agree, Justin. It's, it was a, definitely almost made my happy thoughts list. Yeah. And going on with my dad <clears throat> theme, uh, my last pick is from The Princess Bride, where Peter Falk Thank you. is asked by Fred Savage if you'd come back and read the story one more time. And he says, as you wish. It is wonderful 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 well we need to stop this before you guys the are tears... laying on the schmaltz <laughs> i don't appreciate it before the tears get too thick dustin and me like a good cry that's why the crying <laughs> moments make us feel happy that's right <laughs> i can't i can't cry in real life i need movies for that that's right uh so dear listener what are your favorite cinematic happy moments and uh, as we conclude this i just want to say i did find my happy thought um amy isaiah and josiah it was you. Shut up. Oh my and, god! Oh, you're an asshole. <laughs> uh, gotta go on. We gotta go on. We gotta go on with what we always the last go time on. I cried on air was when Robin Williams died. Stop this. And it's a Robin Williams movie I know. again. I the, knew it. We were gonna. The symmetry cry. is too perfect. Yeah. Uh, all right, moving. It's not your fault, Will. It's not your fault. It's not your fault, Will. Uh, well, let's move on to some fired up in this. Maybe that can cheer us up. We're happy. This is happy. These, these are, are happy these thoughts. These are the happy tears. That we're all feeling together here together right now. And I hope, dear listener, you're feeling them right along with us. But let's talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. All righty. Alex Bohannon, are you fired up? Um, I'm as fired up as I can be from coming from five days of work, working, planning, and facilitating a, com- uh, a residential conference for 36 undergraduate female people. Um, so I'm exhausted, for one. But, but I can be mildly fired up as carryover from the episode, Apologies for Missing, for Blade, because it was Mother's Day. Um... So, I am still fired up from seeing Age of Ultron. Great movie. So good. I enjoyed it so much. Um, it was... I thought it was better The Avengers than in my book. And all the weird feminist stuff that people seem to be having problems with it, I don't have a problem with. So, I think people are just getting really in the weeds about this one. 
So, um, I've yet to see it, so I don't know. Oh man, you're gonna like it. So, because of seeing Age of Ultron, um, Heath has bought his uh, he's bought a subscription to the Marvel um, online reading service, the yeah. monthly subscription service, and he said that his he's gonna start getting into the comics into comics right now. Welcome, um, comrade. Yeah, so we're gonna start doing com- comics together. I think haven't gotten too much into that yet. And then last... Because dropping acid is so last decade. Yeah, or pixie dust. Um, and then last but not least, this is uh, fun. I am so behind on all of my wrestling. I haven't watched my NXT guys. I haven't really... I haven't watched an episode of Raw since the one after WrestleMania. Um, but here's something cool for you. And Arthur will appreciate because I wish he was on the show to talk about it to me. One of my best... One of my best friends texted me this morning saying... Holy shit, Kevin Owens beat John Cena on Raw last night, and I missed it. And that is, I mean, that's kind of a big deal, considering... That's a guy that wrestles like a bowl of mashed yeah. potatoes, right? Yeah, bowl of mashed potatoes. <laughs> okay. Like, the fact that he's an NXT-er, and that he beats John Cena in, at Raw in his debut... Um, is just, like, everyone apparently is flipping a lid about that. So that's pretty cool. I really wish to get back into wrestling now that I have more time. Oh, um, I also got an A in all of my classes, so that's also something So that's why you're not that fired up, is because you were trying to get that A. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Like, that's why watching wrestling stopped happening um, for quite a while. But now I can be back to enjoying things and a 10-day vacation. So, excited. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, you fired up this week? Very much so. Um, As I alluded to earlier in the show, I got a chance to see Mad Max Fury Road. Um, There's some hype going on with that. So good. Yeah, the hype trains real. It's a surprise. So good. I've been telling people for three years this movie was going to be amazing, and nobody believed me. Nobody believed me. I was right. They didn't even believe me after that bitchin' Comic-Con trailer. More people believed me, but still there were naysayers. And now it's out, and now everyone believes me, because I was right. Uh, When you shoot a movie, 80% practical effects, it's gonna be good. Period. End of story. The fact that it also includes some really great characterization, uh, very interesting uh, thematic themes of poisonous masculinity, and and the wonder that is femininity, and kind of a... The fact that there are so many female characters in this movie. Oh my god. Kirsten Thurgelson, friend of the show, pointed that out to me and it hadn't even occurred to me just how many women are in this movie. And none of them um, are really treated poorly as they often are in blockbuster films. Um, It's just so great. I I mean, from start to finish, I love it so dearly. Um, check out Mad Max Fury Road, listener. That's, oh, I totally am. I'll, I'll say no more. I, you've, the internet's already told you how good it is. I don't need to tell you anymore. I just, I'm really excited about it. I told you I would be giving you occasional updates, listener, on Mad Men and Game of Thrones, and it feels like I've mentioned them both every single week since they've been airing. But Mad um, Men's over now, right? Mad Men's over. The final, uh, episode aired, and... And? Uh, I, that was so good. I'm sure the internet hates it. I, I've been told that some I've of the I've seen inter- lots of happy faces. I, I, I'm, I'm told there's a very vocal portion of the internet that hated the ending. I don't care. I don't have time to wait through that nonsense. Um, it made me very happy, and I know there, it made a lot of other people very happy. I thought it was a perfect ending to the show. Okay, um, that's good. So it feels justice is done to it, like how it should end, not necessarily a happy here, ending. Here's the thing, Alex. There are no bad Mad Men episodes. There are only good episodes and great episodes, and... 
things in between. There has not been a bad episode of Mad Men that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, so there's no doubt in my mind that the finale was going to, to work on some level. Uh, and I think it totally puts a pin in the show in the best possible way uh, and lets you know life goes on just because you don't see these characters anymore doesn't mean they can they don't continue um fabulous and it's it's just a great ending uh the journey of don draper has come to a close uh i almost feel i should take down my painting of don in my living room i'm not going to he will remain where he stays um but it was a perfect ending finally very briefly we call the section fired up so uh, it's not always happy feel. So we have the opportunity to talk about things that aren't exactly good, Ooh. which brings me to Game of Thrones. Uh-oh. I heard this episode there, was really... There, there was a rape on Game of Thrones, as there often is, because it's, despite the fact it is a fantasy story, it is told in a historically and socially accurate medieval era world. So rape happened. Now, rapes have been handled on the show not very well. Um, in fact, last year I was on Caleb Masters' cast Beyond the Wall and mentioned I had some real serious issues with, with one that occurred last year. Um, I don't have an opinion about this one yet, and I know that's the thing I'm supposed to do as somebody who you know analyzes pop culture for fun uh, and somebody who loves Game of Thrones. I know I'm supposed to have an opinion right now. I don't. Uh, it took me a long time to decide it, and I don't have an opinion yet because, honestly, I thought the scene was really well shot and portrayed what you needed to know without being overly graphic and overly, overly exploitive. Uh, and I thought it worked well within the themes of that particular episode as well as the story. Um, how it is handled going forward is going to determine how I feel about that. Now, again, I'm being very vague about all this because I don't know if any of our listeners are Game of Thrones watchers, so I'm not mentioning anything uh, as far as... Spoiler. Spoiler-wise, just a rape happened, which not really a spoiler. Um, and again, uh, there are people who love Game of Thrones that much has been talked about about the issues with rape in Game of Thrones. I feel like some of those issues are mitigated with the wonderful portrayals of women that exist in that series. Uh, some that are far better than the portrayals of women in other uh, quote-unquote prestige cable dramas. Uh, I think portrayals of women in Game of Thrones are very strong uh, and something that I really appreciate and enjoy about the show a lot. But rape happens on the show because of the world that it is set in. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say that that's not something you should do. And you shouldn't, I'm not going to say you shouldn't portray rape in, in art because I think that's stupid to say that. Because art is all about expressing the human experience. And unfortunately, that is a thing that happens. Now, that being said, how it is portrayed and how it is handled and how it moves the story and how it moves characters uh, is important. Uh, when rape is used to shock audiences, that's a bad thing. Uh, and I'm worried that that might have been the end result uh, of what happened on Game of Thrones this past week. I hope it's not. Uh, if that is all that ends up happening, I'm going to be very disappointed. I did want to kind of like have a, a, a touch of discussion about like the rape, rape to shock. I, I don't... Because it's a very fine line because... It is something that occurs and there needs to be discussion about rape. And that rape, I guess it's the difference in how you're saying that there's ex exploitive rape and there is non-exploitive rape. Mm -hmm. And if it is a shocking yet exploitive rape, mm -hmm. then I think that is a negative portrayal of that situation. I absolutely agree. And um, then, but there can be non-exploitive rape that is shocking. Like I always think of that scene in... Oh my goodness, that uh, super, is it super? The superhero movie that yes. has, what's his face? Rain Wilson and Ellen mm -hmm. Page. Yeah, yes. and that was a shocking rape. 
that I think needed to be portrayed because it wasn't being portrayed no. exploitively or for no. laughs. Which... And that's, yeah, and that's just because it's when the sole purpose of it is to be shocking is what I meant. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's what I'm worried is what happened on this last week of Game of Thrones is that now, again, we don't know what happened. It happened at the end of oh, the Oh, so you're saying not necessarily... It's like a plot. Using it as like a, a, like a little plot tool just, any, just to when hype up the drama. When it's used just to shock the audience. Yeah, when, when that is its sole purpose. Uh, and even when it is used for plot and story and character motivations, I think that can be bad when the sole defining, you know, w- when we're using a, a rape to say, and now that's what this character is like. I don't think Ugh, that's a good way. I think gross. that's bad. I think it's very bad. It is a lazy character development uh, by bad male writers. Um, I think as a plot device, uh, just to move the story along, that's flawed too. Uh, again, we don't know what's going to happen. So I think a lot of people are jumping the gun on this. Um, and jumping to conclusions very quickly, I think we should all catch our breath and say, well, that was really unpleasant and not a nice thing to watch, and it made me feel icky, and it should have. And we're going to wait and see what happens further and see how the writers handle this. Now, I understand why people did jump to conclusions because it hasn't been handled well in the past on the show. So uh, I just want to get that out there. I, I think it bared mentioning listener. Um, I literally spent an entire night last night just kind of looking at my phone and reading about what people were saying, even though I just said I don't wade into the internet. Um, and I tried to have an opinion and then realized I didn't really have one yet. Um, and sometimes I think discretion is the better part of valor. Um, you know, when people have, smarter than me have really well-formed opinions and I don't quite have one yet, I'm not just going to jump into things just to say I jumped into them because that would be stupid. Um, so yep. that's, there we have, there we have it. Cool. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am fired up about a couple of things myself. One of those is my fully functioning Super 8 camera that I received in the mail, and I've already shot about 30 feet of footage on it. And it's sweet. It's really kind of cool. Um, so I'm very, very happy about that, and I have plans for it accordingly. Um, also, I'm very happy. Um, I'm so glad that we had Lindley Lynn stuff, uh, Lindley Springs, rather, stuff. Uh, appearing um, as far as test footage right now. I've been writing um, viciously with uh, one Caleb Vesley. and um, That's Caleb Suckett Vesley for all of you eagle-eyed We haven't eagle- had him, to us, to say suck it to in a long time. Yeah, that's why I said this. Is, that's what I was going to say for eagle-eared listeners who uh, pay attention and listen for uh, years and years and years now. So we are in a mad writing process right now, and that's kind of fun and kind of exciting and a little bit different from what I normally do uh, in my life as a semi-professional pop cultural critic. Um, So there you go uh, with that. Finally, I have a a copy in my fingers of Blues People by Leroy James, also known as uh, Emmy Bacara, and uh, it's cool. It's really cool. It's a history of basically African Americans uh, told through the blues um, as a movement. Freaking sweet. Also, um, guess who got an A on his 30-plus page paper? Oh, it was Dustin. Oh, I did that too. Oh, yeah, you were lamenting that last week. Yeah, he got an A. Good for him. Yeah, I did that too. Hey, B.B. King died, speaking of the blues. I Well, and that was my, yes, yeah. my, my last thing. Speaking of the blues, B.B. Uh, King passed, and the thrill is gone, dear listener, yeah. and it makes me very, very sad. And, you know, I know, I know um, you're counted amongst that number. And so uh, we are, you know, we wish you well. We wish your family well. And, uh, yeah, you are the greatest. KGOU, the NPR affiliate that's based out of the University of Oklahoma, does a Weekend Blues show. Um, and they did a really cool tribute to BB 
this mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah, it was really cool. I, playing people who influenced him, playing some of his music. Um, it, was, it was really, it was really cool. So let me tell you why BB King is amazing. Um, and just you know his commitment. Uh, he got his name, um, you know, um, early on, and uh, named his guitar Lucille, and all his guitars are called Lucille. And the reason why is that one of those sort of dive bars that he had to play, and there was a terrible fire. And he ran back in to get his guitar, and uh, three or four people died, including a woman named Lucille. And uh, he named his guitar accordingly. And, because he's awesome. Because uh, he's really just well, he's, a, a beautiful person. He would sometimes, before doing a solo, say he's going to have Lucille help him sing it. Mm-hmm. He's so cool. That's just a badass move. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, we love you, BB, and I uh, just want to make mention of that at this point. Dear listener, what are you fired up about? We'd like to hear that. You can do that by via the social media means we've already discussed. Next week's film is our last of our sequels, and we're going to be doing the sequel to Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. That's right. We had five weeks in the month, uh, five posting weeks uh, in the month of May for Sequel Palooza, so we're taking a listener suggestion from a few weeks back. Uh, and we're going to be doing The Devil's Rejects. Which is not like House of a Thousand Corpses at all. And so, there you have it on that. We'll be watching that, and uh, we'll be uh, doing uh, all that fun analysis that we are known to do uh, next week. In the meantime, dear listener, take a look at a movie, uh, and keep your eyes focused and fixed on the second star to the right. And we'll see you straight on until morning. Bang ring. That is an inside baseball ass joke. <laughs> ten people, ten people, if, if that are going to get that joke. And listener. And, and if they are, they're falling down in the middle of their morning run. Todd, that one was for you. <laughs>